Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account. Welcome to a Kindling podcast, Your Family, Your Money. I'm Georgina Dent. And I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. We're two mums with young families and we want to help all families understand money better. It is so closely linked with with all of the things that we do, whether that is, you know, where we live, how we live, how we look after our children, where they go to school, how we spend our holidays. It's, It's so closely linked with all of those decisions. And I think that empowering people to to be comfortable talking about money is so important. It's true. It's one of those big taboos. People hate talking about it, but especially for couples, it's like you you really have to get on the same page about it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think that the way families manage their money is incredibly important to their to their security and to their their happiness. In this episode, we're talking about whether private health insurance is worth it, how to shop around for a good deal how to cut costs without cutting cover, and life insurance. So, Caitlin, I suppose the first question here is, is private health insurance worth it? Well, that really depends on on who the person is. If you're a high-income earner, then it's definitely worth it because the government has carrots and sticks to try to get people to take out private health insurance. So anyone who earns more than $90,000 a year for a single or $180,000 a year for a couple is going to be charged extra tax in the form of the Medicare levy surcharge if they don't get private health insurance. And for them, it definitely is worth it because they will be paying more in tax than they would be paying for the actual insurance. And I suppose, I mean, the health insurance premiums, they're not cheap, are they? I mean, it's a significant chunk of money to be, you know, outlaying if if it's not necessary for you to have it. Well, that's right. So apart from high income earners say that you're not in that bracket, then is it worth it? And actually what health economists say is that for most people, it's probably not, uh, that it's worth it if you have chronic health conditions or if you're over the age of 60. Those are groups that definitely take out more from the health insurance system than they put in. For everyone else, you're subsidising the sick and the elderly. And the the situation here in Australia is that, I mean, you wouldn't describe the public health system as perfect, but it is certainly more than adequate um, in terms of, you know, it's we're not in America where if you don't, if you can't pay, you, you cannot access hospital services. Well, that's right. I think the, the public health system is good for, you know, most things that most people are going to need. And I, I think that we should fight to, to keep it that way, frankly. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, it's not to say you don't get value from health insurance. The, the benefits include less waiting time for elective surgery, being able to get a private room, being able to choose your doctors. Now, some people would see some of that as luxury and other people would say, well, you know, to me, that's worth it. So I think it's a very personal decision whether you decide to get it or not. Absolutely. And I think it probably is worth saying that the waiting time is probably one of the things that will determine that because, you know, there are certain procedures where if you have to wait a long time, it's not really a big deal. But then there are other things where if it's causing a problem now, the sooner you can have it resolved, the better. So I would say for a lot of people, there is value there in being able to accelerate the time in which you can have the procedure that you need. 
And I'd agree with that. I, I guess it's just if you've got a very tight family budget and you're finding it hard to get ahead in other ways, and in fact, maybe you're sliding back into debt, that's a time when I would reassess whether you want to have it. And if you do, then I guess later in the episode, we'll be talking about ways to, to cut the expense. So, Caitlin, what is the situation for Australians once they turn 30? Are you then penalised if you don't have private health insurance? I think you're referring to lifetime health cover loading, and it's a bit of a con, really. Um, it sounds really scary. What what it means is that for every year beyond the age of 30 that you don't get private health insurance, if you eventually take it out, you'll be charged an extra 2% for each year that you didn't have it, up to a maximum of 10 years. So it means that if you wait till you're 40, for example, you'll be paying an extra 20% than what you would have paid when you were 20, and you'll pay that extra for another 10 years. So it sounds really scary, but actually, if you do the maths, paying 10 years worth of premiums that you don't need is a lot more expensive than paying the extra lifetime health cover loading when you eventually take it out and decide you do need it. So would you say that it is? this is one of those areas where actually sitting down and doing the maths is helpful? Definitely. I, I think you just need to think about it logically rather than, you know, the emotive level of, you know, people are primed for loss aversion. We don't want to miss out on things. And that's not always a good basis on what to make decisions. I would say there's been a fairly concerted advertising campaign around that message because I've certainly heard it a number of times that if you don't have private health insurance by the time you turn 30, that it's going to be this great big looming cost ahead of you. And that's right. It's it's very good marketing. And the reason is that they need lots of young people in the health insurance system to pay for the older people. So I don't think you should take uh, lifetime health cover into account. You may want to get the insurance for other reasons, but I don't think that's a good reason. And is there an online calculator that can help make these sorts of decisions? There is. The government has a website called privatehealth.gov.au. It's got all the different private health insurance providers. It's You can have a look at what sort of cover you can get and compare between them. And that can help you decide whether you want it and who you want to get it through. It also has a calculator on there for calculating the lifetime health cover. So you can know exactly what you'd be paying if you decided you didn't want health insurance now, but you think you might in five or 10 years time. And another thing to remember is that if you've already got private health insurance, you can go to this website and shop around and see if you can get a better deal. And don't forget that because the government wants to enable competition here, if you're switching providers, you don't have to reserve any of your waiting periods. You take that with you. I think it's useful, Caitlin, that you have been bringing up the the government-provided comparison sites because I think there is a little bit of mixed messages out there. It, It was only recently that I discovered that a lot of the commercial site comparisons are actually, you know, the the spots are paid for, so you're not necessarily getting the full independent picture, um, which is why it is definitely worthwhile using the government-provided comparisons. I think also Choice magazine has got an online comparison around private health insurance, which is also um, probably worth considering. 
Yeah, that would be a very trusted source as well. I have used the commercial providers in the past and look, some of them are good. You kind of need to know how to, what boxes to untick and so on to make it as impartial as possible. The problem I found was that I went through the whole process and then rather than giving me the answers, I started suddenly getting phone calls from health insurance companies trying to sell me their policies. So I I didn't, I found it a bit of a frustrating process in that respect. And I was really glad to later find out about the government website because that's what I'd been looking for all along. We had actually gone through that comparison process recently. And for us, the biggest saving that we could make, and we've done this for a few years now, is by cutting out extras cover. Um, because as soon as you actually start looking into it, and I mean, I have been to a physio before who said to me, you know, the extras picture just doesn't add up because often it it doesn't mean that you get unlimited coverage for those extra categories. So like chiropractic or, or physio, it means you get a really small rebate when you're seeing somebody, but when you actually add up the, the cost of those premiums over a period of time, it doesn't add up. That's right. Extras is where the health insurance companies make all their money, actually. Um, And it's also not something the government cares about. So all of those things we're talking about, like the the Medicare levy surcharge for the high-income earners and the lifetime health cover, that's only about hospital cover. The government wants you to have hospital cover. It doesn't care if you have extras. But the insurers love to sell you extras because they're going to make lots of money out of you. And you can make considerable savings by by cutting that out because going with purely hospital cover, um, which is arguably where you will probably get the most value anyway for having the insurance, it is a lot cheaper overall. The other thing is the government's cracking down on the sorts of things that can be included in extras because they want to rein in the cost. Uh, So, for example, I read the other day that Pilates is not going to be included anymore, even when it's, you know, taught by a physiotherapist and it's to deal with a specific injury and so on, which seems crazy to me. But, you know, I guess it will succeed in reducing the cost of, of extras. Yes. Well, when you actually look into it, extras has traditionally included a whole host of alternative therapies, but also allied health um, services. So things like speech therapy um, are sometimes included. And and that is definitely being looked into. I think that the point for anyone who's listening is to actually examine what you're paying for the extras and how much value you get for that. And that will be a useful comparison to make. Yeah, I suggest keeping a spreadsheet of all of the rebates that you claim on extras and then comparing that with what you actually pay for it. Um, Or if you kind of fall behind with your paperwork, you can request a statement from your health provider and, you know, do that after the fact as well, because most people won't be getting as much back as they they put in. Uh, Some people will be. There's also dental. That's a big reason a lot of families get extras. Uh, Another thing to remember is that most families can access the child dental benefit schedule, which is $1,000 a year for eligible dental services, and that's per child. You're listening to the podcast, Your Family, Your Money. In this episode, we're talking about insurance. And still to come, we'll be talking about how to review your health needs to cut down your health insurance and what other sorts of insurance your family should have, such as life insurance. If you have any topics or questions, feel free to drop us an email at podcast at kindling.com.au. 
We've actually got a question here from one listener. Huang from Springvale in Melbourne says, my husband works very hard and he says he wants to salary sacrifice into my super while I'm off for two years with our first baby. I'm six months pregnant at the moment. Is that a good idea? Wouldn't it be the same if he salary sacrificed into his own super? What a fabulous husband. You should definitely stay married to him. (laughs) So it, it wouldn't actually be the same for a couple of reasons. And the first is that there is a government incentive to contribute into a partner's super account when that partner is earning... Uh, less than $37,000 a year, which most people who are off for a couple of years with children would qualify for. So it can be quite tax effective uh, for him to contribute into your super as opposed to his own. He should by all means contribute into his own super as well. But I am a big believer in trying to equalise the super between both partners in a couple. And even though the super is a marital asset and can be split 50-50 in the event of a breakup, I think it's important for couples who stay together to try to equalise their super. And one is so that both partners in a couple have control over their own pots of money. They can decide uh, for themselves what investment settings and so on to have and they can see the balance growing. And I think that's quite empowering. Um, And the second reason, just on a practical level, is that the government does put limits on how much you can contribute into super, both in any given year and over a lifetime. And if you've got, if you've equalised it between the two of you, then you've got more flexibility as you get older. And now back to today's episode on health insurance. Caitlin, is there anything else that we can do to cut down on the costs of health insurance? Yes. Okay. So we've talked about extras and we've talked about shopping around. Uh, I want to add another place you should check when you're shopping around is with your employer, because a lot of uh, companies offer corporate discounts. So that's another place to check. So you can cut down on your bills by reviewing your needs. There are lots of different levels of hospital cover, and there are also things that you can exclude to bring down the cost. So, for example, if you're finished having children, then you can cut down obstetrics, and that that will take a big chunk of the cost out. Uh, and if your if your insurance policy doesn't let you cut out obstetrics, if that's just something that's always included then that might be a time when you want to look around at other providers because most providers do let you cut that out and it's a big saving. And also the in terms of hospital cover, you can you, most of the time there will be an excess payment for a hospital admission and it can be interesting to, to examine what works for your family because if there's a higher excess for going to hospital, you will have a lower premium. So over time you will save money. But if you had to be admitted to hospital, obviously, as a one-off, you would pay more. So they are the sorts of things that are worth looking into to figure out which is the most effective option for you. That's definitely true. You know, insurance is there to take risk away. So if there are things where actually the alternative is not so bad, then that's something where you can drop it. So, you know, we're talking about obstetrics before. But the public health system is actually very good for having children. So I don't think it's too much of a gamble to remove that. While we are still on the subject of health insurance, I think it is worth talking about junk policies. Um, They have recently had quite a lot of coverage and 
essentially they are policies which are worth nothing and they are often bought because of the supposed tax benefits of having private health insurance. And that is absolutely something to be wary of and aware of when you are looking into this. Yeah, they they make me quite angry, actually. It's so such a, a cynical move from the insurance companies to sell policies that, okay, it gets you out of a tax bill, but they have no inherent value. It's just pure profit to the to the insurers. I, I would personally rather, you know, give my money to the government in the form of tax to fund Medicare than to an insurance company for something I'm not going to get a product back for. I share your frustration because I think that as we often read about, it's not until an event occurs where somebody wants to use their policy that they even realise that actually they're not covered. And I think that with the junk policies in particular, that is appalling because people are spending money every month on their premiums, believing that they've got a certain level of coverage in case something goes wrong. And then something goes wrong and they've also got these huge bills to to cover the costs. So I am personally very grateful that they are now getting attention and hopefully are going to be stepped out. I agree. And another thing to mention just briefly, of course, is that prevention is better than cure. So spending money on healthy food and staying active as a family, to my mind, is money well spent. And it doesn't actually have to cost a lot. Um, Actually, if you do have extras coverage, that will often cover things like kids swimming lessons. And there are also rebates from many state governments for kids sport activities. Not every state has it, unfortunately, but many do. In New South Wales, there's the active kids rebate. In Queensland, there are get started vouchers. In South Australia, there are sports vouchers. In Western Australia, there's kids sport. So, you know, get get online and, and have a look at what's available. I think I will have to actually get online and have a look at that because that wasn't something I was aware of. And also, as most parents will appreciate, when you look into the cost of things like swimming lessons and sport, it's actually really expensive. I mean, here in Australia, I don't think swimming lessons are something that we should skimp on because obviously, you know, water safety is so important. But if you can save money, if you do have extras coverage, it would absolutely be worth looking into that to to help split that cost a little bit more. That's right. I think it's probably worth uh, turning our attention now to other forms of insurance that are important for your family. Health insurance tends to be top of mind because it's something you're redeeming value on all the time. But obviously, you do need um, protection in other areas, Uh, you know, homing contents insurance, car insurance. But one of the most overlooked things, I think, is life insurance and things that are related to that, like trauma insurance and income protection insurance. Well, exactly, because the whole point of insurance really is to protect ourselves, you know, to insulate ourselves from the financial ramifications of something going terribly wrong. And as much as we all would hope every single day that that it doesn't happen, horrible things do happen. And when you have got children, it's impossible to ignore the consequences of that, that if something happened to one of you or both of you, how would your children financially be secure? And, and I think that is, you know, it is a little bit morbid to think about, but Life insurance matters for that reason, because if something did go terribly wrong, you would want to have in place at least a framework where your children could live comfortably afterwards. 
yeah, pay off the value of the house, for example, and and provide for their upbringing at the very least. So when we talk about life insurance, we mean death and total and permanent disability insurance, often called TPD. So that will pay out if you die, and it will also pay out if you're totally and permanently disabled. And you get a certain level of cover by default within your super. You can buy more units of insurance through your super, or you can also go outside the super system and buy a standalone policy, which are often better policies. It's quite a complicated area with, you know, the, these these policies don't stay static over time. So to my mind, it's something worth talking to a financial advisor with specialist experience in insurance about. But, you know, some people ask, well, what's the difference between having life insurance versus being covered in a will? And, well, being covered in a will can only pass on to your partner and children what you already own, whereas life insurance can provide extra money on top of that. So, for example, if you died tomorrow and passed on uh, a half share in a house and $30,000 in savings, then they probably have to sell the house in order to, to pay off the mortgage. But if you had life insurance to cover the outstanding balance on the mortgage, then they wouldn't have to sell the house. I think also with life insurance, it is sometimes tempting to think that if there is a stay-at-home parent, then they don't need that policy simply because they're not working. But the reality is that in in a household, if there is one person working full-time and one person is staying at home, if something happened to the person staying at home, there is immense value in the work that they've been doing. So then either the breadwinner would have to cut back their work and therefore presumably cut back their income, or they would have to engage paid help to cover some of the the caring and the household work that that person was doing. Uh, So it's definitely an area where many Australian families don't have insurance coverage, but it is absolutely worth looking into. I definitely agree. I think both parents, both partners are equally valuable. They they do different things for the family. Some of it's paid, some of it's not, but it all contributes to the running of the family. And you need to think about exactly that of how the family would function if one or both of you were gone. Not cheerful to consider, is it? But it is pretty critical. It's not at all cheerful, but I, I think burying your head in the sand is not an option either because it's your children who'd pay the price if, if the worst came to the worst. There are other types of insurance as well. So the main one is life insurance, which we've mentioned, uh, but there's also income protection insurance and there's trauma insurance. Income protection insurance is about protecting your income, replacing your income or part of your income if you are suddenly unable to work, if you've had an accident or if you're you're dealing with an illness and trauma insurance is a lump sum to kind of help you deal with some really big trauma such as, you know, a, a terrible car accident or something. So it's worth talking to a professional about those two. They're, they're not cheap. Income protection insurance is a tax deduction. So there there is benefit for that, especially for high income earners. But there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of set that up to maximise 
the value or minimise the price. And I think it's really an area where it's worth getting some some extra advice from an expert. Yes, I think you're right, because with income protection insurance, as you have said, there are definitely options for how you can sort of dial it up and down. And so it might be that covering 100% of your income is just too expensive to insure, but covering 50% of your income might give you some peace of mind that if something was to happen for a period of time where you couldn't work, then having 50% of that income for a short period of time might be sufficient. That's right. And the trauma insurance, you know, I think... It can be really helpful if that kind of single event is going to send you into financial stress, but I think it's probably not as essential as some of the other forms of insurance. But it's worth having those discussions and it's all about the individual circumstances of your family. One of the things that you'll talk about with the financial advisor when you're going through something like income protection insurance is whether you want the premiums to be stepped, which means that they start off cheaper and they go up with time, or whether you want them to be level, which means you'll pay a bit more now, but it will stay the same. And that's another area where if you're sure that you're going to have it for 10 years or more, then you know you might want to go with level. But if it's something where, okay, I really want to protect us right now because I think we're a bit vulnerable at this stage in our lives, but I'm not sure that we want it in in five or 10 years' time, then you might want to go with stepped and pay the, the cheaper price right now. Yeah, which is great advice. That's it for this episode. I'm Georgie. I'm Caitlin. Join us next time for more of Your Family, Your Money, where we'll look into schooling and children's development. If you have any topics or questions, feel free to drop us an email. Podcast at kindling.com.au. And we do have a question before we go. Jade from Ashfield in Sydney. Any suggestions on what to do with renting a place? Tips and pitfalls. Oh, Jade, there are so many. <laughs> there are. And look, we have talked about renting before. I, um, my family, we rent our house and we have been fortunate enough to be in the same place for three and a half years now. I think that obviously the biggest hassle with renting is if the lease is terminated early or if, if after the term the rent is put up by an extraordinary amount and you simply can't keep up. We do know that rental prices are increasing and so I think it would be naive to think that there won't be some increase at the end of the rental term. I think trying to secure security where you are is probably important if you can do that. So if you can negotiate a longer lease term, then that's absolutely worth looking into. What other tips do you think there are, Caitlin? I now own my own house, but I had many years of renting before that and I was very big on documenting everything. I never called the agent. I always emailed them. I left a paper trail. I, When I moved in, I took photos of everything and videos so that they couldn't kind of pin the condition of the house on me when I left. And, you know, thankfully in Australia, at least, I never had any trouble. Well, that's it for us. We will catch you next time. Looking forward to it. Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account as part of Westpac's 200th year celebration. If your baby was born in 2017, Westpac will deposit $200 into a Westpac Bump Savings Account, which they can withdraw when they turn 16. You can open the account online today. Visit westpac.com.au forward slash dearbump.
Account must be opened and your ID verified by 31 May 2018. The $200 is limited to one per child and will be forfeited if the account is closed before their 16th birthday. Other T's and C's and eligibility criteria apply. Read the T's and C's available at the Westpac website before deciding if the product is right for you.